Welcome to Talent Management Truths. I'm your host, Lisa Mitchell. I'm a talent management thought partner and results coach, wife, and mom. Talent management leaders are hungry to learn from their peers and want to hear about real-life examples of successful talent projects. Talent Management Truths is for and by talent management leaders. My guests and I discuss actual successes and lessons learned from their experience in our field from a very practical, not theoretical point of view. You'll discover important insights about how to elevate your confidence and amplify your influence in a role known for being caught in the organizational middle. I'm thrilled to have you listening. So let's get going and hear the truth about talent management today. Welcome back to Talent Management Truths. I'm your host, Lisa Mitchell, and today my guest is Julie Farnsworth. Julie has worked in both the private and public sector and is currently the VP of Human Resources for a hospitality management company. Julie is passionate about grassroots support in the form of listening. While formal programs have a place, they don't replace the basic skill of caring for others and being a great listener. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, and welcome to Talent Management Truths. I'm your host, Lisa Mitchell, and today I'm joined by Julie Farnsworth. Julie is Vice President of Human Resources for a hospitality management company. She brings a really fascinating and varied background with over 20 years in HR and talent management. She's dabbled in sales. She's dabbled over in the seniors living industry where I first met her, and she's currently leading a team. Her style is very collaborative and approachable. She's really the real deal, very genuine, and I know this is going to be a great conversation. So with that, welcome, Julie. Thank you so much for coming coming on the show today. Thank you. I'm really excited to chat with you today. Awesome. Well, perhaps you could begin and, and just tell us a little bit about your journey to your current role as VP of HR. Sure. Well, without dating myself, I'd like to say that I started at a, at a young age with a love for hospitality and took a hospitality program in university and started in operations in the hotel side of things, in the food and beverage side of things, but always had this sort of deep-rooted passion for human resources, always enjoyed the people side of things the best. So, you know, pursued an education in human resources out in British Columbia when I was there and found an opportunity within the Canadian brand of Delta Hotels, which is now owned by Marriott uh, within Delta Hotels. And I moved across the country from Vancouver to New Brunswick and launched my HR career then. From there, just, you know, always was looking for roles that where I could learn and I could grow and I could develop. Moved back to Vancouver, opened a hotel. Oh, wow. Crisscross. Crisscross. Yeah. Moved to St. John, New Brunswick with two suitcases and that was it. I didn't know a soul. But I will tell you that that's where I met my mentor in human resources, who is a, a dear person to me still to this day. And and when I moved back to Vancouver, I, I worked in a management role in human resources. And it just sort of took off from there. And, you know, I always was was looking for an opportunity, as I mentioned, where I grow and continue to expand my HR knowledge and and really give back to the industry that I loved so much. Worked in the operational side of things. As you mentioned, I dabbled a bit in seniors living, which really 
pulled on my HR strings a lot, obviously, because you're still managing people. And then, you know, went back into the hotel side of things in an operational role within some hotels and realized that I wanted to take an above property role, as we call them, or a corporate role. So went into a corporate role where I was supporting HR directors and operational leaders in the field. And my most current role as VP of Human Resources, I have HR oversight for all of Canada with a portfolio of hotels for a hospitality management company. Sometimes I pinch myself that I'm actually here. <laughs> You know, because you look back on your career and you think, are you are you ever going to get to where you feel you want to be or need to be? And some people chase titles. And for me, it was more so about chasing culture and chasing what was important to me in a career and chasing value. Well, you even said when we were talking in the green room just before we hit record that it sounds like you were very, very committed and persistent around getting into HR because you started in operations, food and beverage and did a little bit of the sales coordination and, you know, really made it clear, I need to get into HR. How do I do that? Oh, I mean, I, look, I sent up meetings with the VP of HR for Delta Hotels at the time. And I said to him, tell me what I have to do in order to get into human resources. And he said, well, you need to get office experience. So back in the 90s, that's what it was called, office experience. And I said, okay. So I picked up the phone and I called the HR director at our sister property. I was managing a restaurant for Delta Hotels at the time. And I said, on my days off, could I please come and work in your HR office? I don't need to see confidential information. I will make posters. I will do filing. I will do whatever you need me to do. And so I did that. And then I was going to school part-time for my HR education at the same time. I was exhausted, but I didn't I care because I had a goal. So that removed a barrier. And then he said, well, you know, you, you need to get the office experience. So there was a sales coordinator opportunity available. And I thought, okay, great. This is going to give me that administrative stuff that I'm looking for. And then when the opportunity presented itself and it was in a province I never visited before, and I'd never been to before, I thought, well, this is my chance. I'm young. I need to take a risk. I, I joined this industry for adventure, and adventure is what is here. So I took it, and I packed two suitcases and sold my car because I couldn't afford to drive across the country with it. And I took this opportunity in New Brunswick to work with one of the, what I consider to be the best hospitality HR leaders in her time. And she was also the corporate director of training and development for the company at the time. And I thought, this is a golden opportunity. Yes. Can you talk about her? Like, cause she's the oh, mentor you, you referred yeah. to earlier. What, so what did she do? How, who, who was this person? What made her, you don't have to say her name. I don't mean it that way, but how was she with you and with others that made her such a gem? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Oh, I could probably go on and on for the full hour about her, but she she was real. You know, she got into the hearts and the minds of the associates. She she cared deeply, but she also didn't take any flack from people. So, you know, I would often say about her that she had the knack of calling you into her office, delivering a really strong message of maybe how you needed to improve, but the person left the office feeling like a million bucks and they were, they never wanted to let her down. With me, 
She gave me autonomy. She empowered me. She trusted me. And that to me is, if you don't have trust with your leader, where your leader trusts you and you don't trust your leader, you have nothing. And Sharon trusted me. She also relied on me pretty heavily too, you know, and I had the opportunity to sit down with a former colleague. I I got to travel back to my grassroots. One of the hotels in our portfolio is the hotel out in St. John. And it was like old home week for me. I was so excited to go back and I, I was able to meet with a former colleague and, and reconnect with her. And we were chuckling about how, you know, Sharon used to say to me, I'll give you an extra day off if you just type up this document for me. And we're okay. So I would do it. But at the same time, I was learning from her because I was, I was working on her larger work for the entire company. She allowed me to, to stretch my leadership skills and flex those muscles where I was kind of uncomfortable in my first HR role. It sounds like she saw something in you, right? And and made it kind of part of what she wanted to do yeah. was to, to support you in bringing that potential out. She did. And honestly, she made me part of who I am today professionally. And there were moments where, I mean, she's retired now. I know she would obviously answer the phone, but you know, she just, it was, it was the trust and she allowed me to make mistakes and learn from those. And I think far too often people in human resources are afraid to make mistakes. We're expected to know everything and have all the answers and we don't, and we have to be okay with making mistakes and learning from those mistakes. But, you know, she just, she was, she was a force to be reckoned with in the HR world. And, you know, I, I think a lot of people really valued. Yeah. She sounds, she sounds really incredible. So you've brought up the, the term trust a few times. So that's very important, clearly in what you do and how you think. How do you establish trust with your your current team and your colleagues? I guess I lead with the approach that I trust everyone until you give me a reason not to, to be honest. And some people say trust is earned and, and I see it in the opposite way. I, I like to trust people right out of the gates. So I think there's a couple of things there. I think it is, you need to establish credibility and with credibility typically comes trust. And so as an HR professional, I'm, I'm looked to be a subject matter expert on HR. But the trust piece comes when you're able to say and say it comfortably, I don't know the answer, but I will find it out for you. And then you leverage your resources. Oftentimes, leaders will say things that they have no clue about. And they, because they're afraid that people are going to lose or, or they're going to lose their street cred. Right. 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 I have to know it all. I have to know it all. Oh my gosh. It comes with my title. Well, I'm sorry. You know, I'm smart enough to know that you hire people around you that are smarter than you on things that you know nothing about. And then you leverage that talent. And so if I don't really answer, I don't make something up because in the HR world, that can be super detrimental to an operation, to an organization, to reputation, you know, all of that. And so that, that really helps me build that trust. I, I also, I'm a firm believer that, you know, my moral compass really guides me. I would not ask anybody to do something that I wouldn't do myself. Right. I think that helps build trust. I think more leaders 
need to take that approach. And I do what I say I'm going to do. You know, if I tell somebody that I'm going to do something, then I do it. And if I'm not doing it on the timeline that I initially said I would, then I'm following up with them and saying, okay, I'm delayed. I'm not there yet. Whatever the case may be. You know, it's not rocket science, Lisa, with with building trust. No, indeed. I I think it's something people tend to take for granted, though, especially for various leaders, whether they're in talent and HR or operationally and so on, is because the world is so busy and corporate culture is, is intense. I think that there's a lot of room to be intentional, which it sounds like you are intentional around how you choose to build trust, right? And what's the experience you want the people around you to have? Really, really key. When it comes to the learning and growth, the potential of the people you serve in your organization, tell me a little bit about your approach. What are some of the types of programs that you've put in place to support that that potential of your most valuable resource? I, I mean, there's there's the standard ones, as I would call them as, you know, individuals or organizations where you're, you want to leverage your talent and build, establish those building blocks of leadership skills. So those supervisory skills, that sort of thing. And, you know, one, one program that I'm really proud of was, was a boot camp. So the supervisory boot camps that I had built because nobody has a lot of time. And what are those foundational skills that frontline employees is looking for in order to continue to grow in the organization? I think a mentorship program has has always been really helpful because, you know, there's textbook learning and then there's learning life skills and leadership skills by watching great leaders and also watching bad leaders, right? We, we learn both. We learned from both, you know, we've probably all had some really great leaders and we've had some really crappy leaders and you learn from, from both ends of that spectrum. I've been successful in launching a mentorship program where you partner individuals with like-minded folks or, or people who are, you know, the polar opposite of them, where you might have an introvert and an extrovert and the introvert needs to become more extroverted and vice versa. And the, and the mentor learns from the mentee. And those have been really successful in in building up bench strength and the talent within an organization. I think people and organizations really don't give enough credit to the fact that individuals really are like sponges and they want to learn and they want to grow. There are some leaders out there that they fear losing their losing their own jobs or, you know, it becomes competitive and it shouldn't be about competition. It should be about sharing knowledge and, and making people stronger in what they do. And it might not present an opportunity that's available to them today, but how awesome would it be to be able to say, I had a hand in their career growth and their career development? Yeah, it's very rewarding for sure. What would you say as you look back over the last 18 months, you know, during this pandemic era, what's been the biggest challenge for you and your current role for you and your team that you've needed to navigate for the organization? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Just one? (laughs) You're only allowed one, Julie. <laughs> only allowed one. You know, I think, gosh, Lisa, I think the mental health piece for the teams that I supported has been the biggest challenge for me. I tried to be the pillar of strength for them. And and what what did that look like? So being that pillar of strength is being a voice, being someone who can who can, 
you know, they can come to if they're scared because there was a lot of fear out there, fear of having to let people go, fear of losing their own job, fear of the unknown, what's going to happen to our industry. And I mean, it's, as you know, and everybody in the world knows, the hospitality and tourism industry has been decimated by this pandemic. And being that individual who was seen as not only just a subject matter expert, but being someone that they could rely on and come to, even if they just needed to vent or have an ear. And the hard part was, you know, I'm a human being too. And I was taking on some of that and their burden because I saw what they were going through. And trying to, I think the biggest challenge for me is trying to make them feel that everything was going to be okay and we would get through this. But I also, I just said at the top, like, I like to keep it real. And, you know, oftentimes I had to have the conversation to say, you know what, this stinks. And you're going to have to let people go because it just, business dictates it. And it's going to be awful. And you're going to feel like the biggest schmuck ever to walk the planet. I said, but you'll get through it and call me when you're done and we'll talk it through. And if you just need to cry, it's okay. So really setting them up to like to be straight up, because sometimes, you know, all we can do is acknowledge that something does really, really suck. It's tough. And when we when we try to skate over it and just stay businesslike, then we can get ourselves into trouble. Right. It doesn't feel authentic. So it really sounds like you stepped into this. Hey, let's acknowledge what's going on. It's not pretty. And you'll get through it. Yeah. And and I saw and I saw some leaders that were unemotional about the whole thing. That would, that, it made me angry because it, and maybe that's how they dealt with it. And so I acknowledge that, but people's lives were impacted. And I, I actually sat on a council. I sit on a council of general managers. There was some feedback that, that they were struggling. And, and one thing that I said to them, and I, and I say this to, to many is this was a grieving process. Going through a global pandemic has been a grieving process for many. And and they need to really acknowledge that and, and work through that. It's the cycle, denial, et cetera, all the way through to acceptance. Now it's a bit of fatigue coming on the heels of that. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I, I, a couple of people recently have articulated that process that we've all been through as, as grieving. It's fascinating. What else did you did you put in place? So it sounds like you were very much central to being a support to folks in the field as they work through the difficult, you know, termination work and so on, which is never fun when you're in HR. What else did you or the company put in place to help people with that resilience? So things that were put in place were not that people had a lot of time for webinars or time to spend in front of a computer, but but really supporting their mental health and, and allowing them to listen to perspective, maybe someone more objective on how they could cope through that work balance. So some speakers? Yeah, some speakers. We had some speakers. We had some, we would send out even just sort of some written documentation. There was also, you know, recharge days. So, you know, giving people time off to to recharge their batteries and, and honestly take a mental health day where, where they didn't necessarily have to, to think about what was going on. And I can't stress enough that the most important thing and the most impactful thing, I think, was allowing them to have a voice and just being there to listen. Because you can put all of the most amazing initiatives together, but if people don't have time to deal with that, 
or listen to that because they're in their operation and they're also trying to, you know, teach their kids trigonometry and calculus and all that great for oh God, uh, long I'm division. There right now. Yeah. 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 Right. Like, but being there to listen and giving them a platform to listen, it wasn't anything formal, but that to me has, has been the most impactful and that constant reminder that we're here for you. Yeah, I think it's interesting because what I'm kind of taking away here is, you know, it doesn't always have to be formal programs and formal supports. I think those have a place, the webinars, the offering of, of you know, EAP counseling and so on, online training, you know, bringing in meditation apps, you know, some, some companies have sponsored Headspace for everybody that wants it, that kind of thing. I think there's a place for those things. And it's important to strike a balance with that more informal genuine human connection, right? Make it like, so I think the takeaway for listeners may be, how can you ensure that people have an outlet, like a, 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 you know, a neutral ear that they can talk to that may be within the company. I'm not talking about necessarily counselors and so on, but somebody inside where they could sort of say, I'm, I'm tired and I'm a bit frustrated and I'm a little bit stuck, you know? So that mentorship program you talked about could be, if that's already in place, wow, what an advantage, right? When you hit a time like we've all just gone through to help carry people through that. Uh-huh. Interesting. And I, th- I, I think I, I think there's not enough credit given. I think I think organizations are looking for formal programs and, and to throw everything at it that they can, but I think they're they're missing that human connection and that human connection with one another. We rely on our leaders to give us strength, just as our leaders rely on us to keep the operation afloat, whatever business we're in. And to me, that's good leadership is being able to listen. And and yeah, there are times where people come into your office and they go, hey, have you got five minutes? And you know, five minutes doesn't mean five minutes. No. <laughs> and maybe, you know, the inner reel in your head going through that is, I don't have five minutes. Oh my gosh, this conversation needs to be over. I've got this, 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 and this to do. But I think what sometimes leaders fail to recognize is that five minutes that you just gave to that direct report meant more to them than the world because you were there for them and all they needed to do was maybe get something off their chest and it might have been about i have no idea how to do great format and right and i just i just need to say this is what's on my mind well i again because i see leaders both within our field you know the talent management hr they're so busy i mean i remember myself five years ago being triple booked for meetings sometimes and just feeling so frustrated how how do you sort of make your day work i have a a friend who recently told me she just left her organization she said you know i was getting really disillusioned because my leader would often you know we had these one-on-ones set up every two weeks i wanted weekly but she said we could only do every two weeks and she rescheduled them or canceled them last minute constantly and so it was a real challenge to even get a little bit of airtime never mind a sympathetic or empathetic ear right? It was always task oriented. Now, that particular leader may be in burnout, in stress mode herself. And at the same time, it really underscored for me again, this this idea, I'm very passionate about it, that leaders need to preserve that time with their people and ensure that there is a balance of structure and just connecting, right? Like really just having a conversation, being partners together in the work. The conversation can be very organic. Yes. You might have structure that it's in your calendar every week or every two weeks, but the conversation can be organic. The person that I report to now is incredible. 
And she said to me this week, she said, Nat, when are you going to take a day or two off? Because I think, you know, you just need to take some time for yourself and you need to recharge. And I, I just kind of, I looked at her and I said, really? And I said, is uh, there a problem? Who are you? And yeah, no. And, and, and I said, uh, is there a problem? And she goes, no, I just want to make sure that, you know, you've got time to, to recharge. And she said to our larger HR team this week, she said, I don't want anybody losing sleep over this job. She said, you all need to take care of you because I care about you. And I left that meeting with a huge smile on my face because that's, that's true leadership. It is. Well, you know what it makes me think of, too, is earlier in our conversation, you were referencing the whole idea of taking on some of the burden when when supporting leaders who are going to have to have, you know, let people go and have these difficult conversations. In this position of talent management, HR, you're in this squishy middle. I have to talk about it like you're sort of right because you're trying you're trying to really support the key objectives of the organization. And then you're also trying to support all of the employees and the leaders and their needs when it comes to growth and just general support for getting their job done. And it can feel like you're at, you've got opposing extremes here, right? And you're trying to mitigate in the middle. So now you've got a boss who's saying, Julie, I think it's, you know, take a bit of time. It's important to take care of you. How do you manage that squishy middle, right? You know, whether it's through self-care, self-talk, tell me about your strategies. Well, you, you can't see it, but there's a wall of shoes behind me. So I have a bit of a retail problem. So that's sort of the, it tongue in cheek. However, well, something, something though, that that's like, it's, it's a, sounds like it's, it's, it's an outlet. It's an outlet for me. An outlet. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But in, in all seriousness, you know, often people say, oh, we don't hear from you on the weekends and, and, you know, friends and family. And, and I'll say, well, you know, I talk all week long. And, you know, sometimes I just need to decompress and it sounds ridiculous, but I actually just do nothing. I do the things that I enjoy doing. I, I work very hard to disconnect. Unfortunately, cell phones don't help with that, but I do what I enjoy doing, which is spending time with girlfriends, spending time with my family. I love to bake. It's nothing earth shattering that I that I do. I don't read HR books or anything like that. I'm not a self-help book kind of girl. I, I'd rather immerse myself in the Food Network or in a good murder mystery book. This summer, I probably read more than I've ever read. And I remember sitting down on a Saturday and I didn't put a book down until I finished it Sunday oh. at noon. You know, like those are the yeah, sorts of yeah. things where I can just sort of escape those thoughts in my head because I have learned, Lisa, and, and this is this was a tough lesson, that if a problem comes up on a Saturday, unless it's earth shattering, it's going to be there on Monday as well. And I often tell our leaders and, and other HR leaders, we're not saving lives here. We are just running a hotel. And and it puts it in perspective. And I've had some terrible things happen in my career to employees that I've had to deal with. And I I had to take care of myself mentally. And and I do that through just disconnection and and exploring things that I like to do. Well it's almost I don't know if it's even disconnection. You're disconnecting from work, from that work theme. It sounds like it's connecting to your own internal battery because you use that term recharge the recharge days and I, I really like that term I talk about refueling right because we forget sometimes we can't we can't just go 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 without 
filling ourselves up, filling our cup. And so I'm hearing you kind of decide to, you know, being very conscious about how do I, how do I make that happen for myself? And it's literally just a completely different pursuit, whether it's baking or reading. I devoured novels this summer too. I don't know what it was about the summer. They were like candy. I couldn't yeah. think of it. And so I kept fun. asking my dad, my dad is a voracious reader. And during the pandemic, and, and it's hard for, you know, he would kill me if he heard me calling him elderly. But my sister and I would send him books through Indigo when we couldn't go and see them. And so I, I would say to him, don't give those away because I kind of picked them so that I'd like them too. And and he would just, you know, when we finally were able to connect, he would say, okay, here's these books. I'm like, okay, which one do I read first? And, you know, so we were recycling those and yeah, it was just like one after the other. It was so great to be able to just lose myself in a book. You really out that. Well, we're, we're coming to the end of our, of our time together. And I'd like to offer you one last question, which is if you were to think about yourself back at the beginning of your career, knowing what you know now, what's one piece of advice you would give? Oh that my gosh. Hmm, that's a great question. Don't be afraid to take a chance. Don't be afraid to take a risk. I think there were times where I was afraid to fail and let people down. And that stopped me in my tracks sometimes where I thought, okay, I'm, I'm doing things for other people, not for me in my career journey making my parents proud, doing what people, what I'm supposed to do. And I wish I had been more of a risk taker. Feel the fear, but do it anyway, I think is, is sort of my, that mantra that I wish, you know, when I was coming out of university that, that I had done more of that. Now, throughout my time, I think I've taken some risks, some calculated risks, but I wish I'd taken a few more uncalculated risks. Don't get me wrong. I'm very proud of my accomplishments. I recently got a master's degree in human resources. Congratulations. Never, never thought that I could ever do that yeah. at this age, but, but yeah, I would say that. Take a risk. Take yeah. a risk. Feel the fear and do it anyway. Absolutely. A beautiful note to end on. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on and and sharing with us a bit about your journey and how you see the world. It's, it's been a pleasure. Oh, Lisa, likewise. Great to see you again. You too. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your colleagues. Better yet, head over to iTunes and let us know. When you subscribe and leave me a five-star review, not only do I glow from within, but more people will learn about the show and why they should listen. Oh, and each month, I'll select one lucky reviewer to receive their free personal True Tilt profile. Until next time, keep telling the talent management truth. <laughs>